with that song uh, going through your mind, please join me in Revelation chapter number 20. There will be a day when we no longer will have the opportunity to take that message far and wide. And it's not because of the politics of our day and age or what might uh, be trouble for a church and persecution and things of that nature. It's nothing to do with that. But there is a day mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, that is the most chilling paragraph in all of Scripture. This ought to stun us to read it and to put into our mind this is not, this is not imagination. This will happen. Verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne in him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that are, were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Look at verse 15 again. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Lord, this passage in front of us is Remarkably heavy to read, stunning in nature, yet waiting to be fulfilled exactly like we have read it here this morning. That day is coming. There is a day coming when the proclamation of the gospel will not be heard among the nations. There will no longer be an appeal for them to realize Jesus saves. For there is a day of judgment. And it's frightening to realize that day is coming. As we look through this passage today, Lord, do your work in our hearts. Exactly what needs to be done. You know each and every one of us. Perfectly. You know our relationship with you. You know everything about us. There's nothing hidden from your sight. As we read through this, Lord, work personally with each of us. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we, as a result of all these things, would turn our eyes to you. Help us again as we walk through a passage like this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Chapter 20 was supposed to be all good news. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of good news as far as the world is concerned, is there? 
chapter 19 and 20, the second coming of Christ and all that takes place. This has been some tough chapters. And uh, this is the hardest spot today. I want to state some things this morning that are not, well, this, this world would question, but Scripture does not give it the option of debate. The world would contradict what's said on these, these pages, especially this passage. Even in our theological training centers, folks, one place or another, they question whether or not these words are actually true. I'm not interested in declaring those who are in opposition to what we read of in this passage today. I'm just stating the fact that the message of Scripture is not believed by some people. It's altered by other people. It is ignored by many people. The passage you have before you, here in 20, verse 11 through 15, is true. It is true. The fact that it doesn't mesh with modern thinking, or as they would say, it doesn't seem to represent the God they have come to understand, they have manufactured their own concept of God. They put it in their books and they put it in their messages. But it doesn't change the fact that God said what he said and whatever he says is true. There are those who actually do not think that God will do this. There's even, believe it or not, there's even a group out there that believes that Satan himself will someday be redeemed. Can you believe that? That's not what Scripture says. But they're trying to, to paint God with a bigger, merciful brush. Because they think this is too harsh. This is so severe. This isn't the God we're speaking about. I don't mind telling you what God has said. When I read it in the passage... It's the truth that changes a heart. Not a fairy tale conjured up by some liberal-minded pastor or theologian. You know, those folks can't save anybody. Matter of fact, I can't save anybody either. Only Jesus can. And He will save those who call upon His name. Remember in Romans... Chapter number 10, a passage you might even be able to word it as I'm reading it to you. These things are familiar to us. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. I love that verse. You won't be disappointed. You won't get up in heaven and say, oh man. That's not going to happen. All right? But there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, who abounded in riches for all who call upon him. 
For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of, or great, good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. I will not alter what he says. Because it could change somebody's eternal destiny. Only God's word saves a soul. You may be asking, why is the pastor saying these things? Well, we're in Revelation chapter 20. And it's real simple, folks. The only way to not be in this paragraph is to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's how simple it gets here. This is a judgment passage for the unbeliever. We've studied a lot of judgment in the book of Revelation. A lot of information there from verse chapter 14, marching all the way through 19. We're pretty heavy in judgment. We have seen seal judgments during the tribulation period. We have seen trumpet judgments. We have seen bowl judgments. And every one of them increase in, in intensity. And the results are catastrophic. Especially in the last couple of chapters we've read. And yet we've seen how rebellious mankind can be. And so stubborn. Though they see these things and they recognize they are coming from God, they refuse to repent. Over and over again, we see that. And then we've noticed as well the blasphemy of the false prophet and the Antichrist. We've seen the judgment of Babylon. We've seen all the wickedness associated with it. We've seen the Antichrist. We've seen the false prophet and even Satan himself in these last couple of paragraphs cast into the lake of fire at the return of Christ and then at the end of the millennial period for Satan. We've seen that the Lord is serious about judgment. But there is no judgment to this date more terrifying, and I would say more final, than the judgment we're looking at right now. The facts of this judgment are before you. It takes place after the millennial reign of Christ. He reigns for a thousand years. That's chapter 20, 1 through 10. It talks about those days for a thousand years. And then this happens at the end of that period, verse number 11 on. He begins with the destruction of the present earth and the present heavens. You saw it, didn't you, in verse number 11? It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. And from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. I think that's an interesting phrase, and, and boy, I could be a little imaginative at times when I read things, and I say, hmm, this got to be an interesting sight. Remember, he created the earth and the heavens with his voice. 
God said, and it was, right? That's power. He doesn't even have to talk in this verse. He just sits there. And heaven and earth can't find a place to go. They have to get away. They have to fly away. They've got to run away. They've got to flee in the presence of him. And you may say, well, I could understand earth being in the need to get out of there because this earth's a pretty wicked place, isn't it? But heaven? Do you know Satan's footprints are all over it? Even to this day, he still has access to it. You may say, why? Can't wait to get to heaven, right? There's, there's a lot going on up there that would require a new heaven. A place where only righteousness dwells. I believe that's what he means here when he says that this is going to be gone because chapter number 21 starts with, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now that's great news. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. They departed. You can't have a new one if the old one has just been refurbished. There are those who teach that, by the way. This, this world's just going to get a little makeover. All right? They're going to polish it up, clean it up a little bit. But it's the same thing. But that's not what Scripture says. Peter says this, Second Peter chapter 3. By the word, by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And then Second Peter 3, 10 and 11 adds this. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. And these things are to be destroyed in this way. That doesn't say remodeled to me, folks. That says destroyed. Gone. Fleeing. Missing. You say, well, what's the point of all that? Well, folks, as far as the unbeliever is concerned, where are they going to hide? If there's no earth to hide in, and there's no heavens to hide in, and death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire, what's left? No place. There's no place to go away from the judgment of the Lord. No place to hide. No other place to be. You see the point? There's no place to go. They must stand before him. That's a fact of scripture. Another fact. There will be a throne there. It says in verse 11. And Jesus will sit on it. All unbelievers will stand before him. Verse 12 says. All. All. Let us remember something. These are the ones who have rejected him. They sneered at him. They mocked him. They discounted him. They ignored him. They beat 
him. They even crucified him. These are the ones from the earliest days of Adam's descendants all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the Gospels, all the way through the New Testament, all the way through the history of this world, the medieval era, the Reformation era, the Renaissance era, the Industrial Revolution, the Civil Wars, the World Wars, the coming and going of nations and rulers, the great and the small and the dead will stand before him. No one exempt. No one left out. If they are an unbeliever, they will be there. From the very first to the very last, they will be there. Whether they died in the sea, verse 13 says, or on this earth, their graves were opened. Hades, the holding place for the dead souls from the very beginning, gave up all who were in it. And they stood one by one before Jesus. It didn't matter what was in their bank account. It didn't matter which club or affiliation they had had, where they went to school, where they went to church, where they worked, whether they served in the military or not. It didn't matter if they were geniuses or if they were clowns. It didn't matter if they had a beautiful voice or a beautiful appearance. It didn't matter if they gave much to the poor. They stand before Jesus, one by one. Scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in the heavens, I would suggest that those people want to bow before Jesus. And those on the earth, And those under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus once stood before a man named Pilate, remember? Pilate asked him if he knew that Pilate had the authority to release him or have him crucified. Remember? Now Pilate kneels before this very same Jesus, as well as Caiaphas and Annas and Nero. It doesn't matter who they are. The great and the small will stand before the throne, and with their knee they will bow, and with their tongue they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That will not save them but it will cause them to recognize he has the right to judge. He is the right to judge. Mankind can ignore that today if they want. And they do. They do. They can laugh at our message, and they do. They can declare it antiquated, obsolete, 
barbaric. And that's what's bothering some theologians today. So that's not the way God is, is it? They change the terms to whatever they want to use. They want to soften the message so that nobody's left out. But when the day comes, folks, there will be no words. There will be no opposition. There will be no opinions. There will be no alternatives. They will stand before Jesus. They will stand before Jesus. That's a fact. Mark it. It's a fact. Another fact you read right here is that they will be judged. Verse 13 and 15 both say it. In 13 it says at the end of the verse, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. And then jump down to verse 15. Everyone's name who is not found written in the book of life. They were thrown into the lake of fire. According to this text that we're looking at here, there are books. Books of deeds. Too bad it doesn't help them. You may say, well, what, what's the point? Well, you know what? The Lord recognizes deeds. He doesn't forget. There's a beautiful thing in that that is precious to us, I think. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 says these words. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love in which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and still ministering to the saints. God keeps records. <laughs> Even some things you forgot that you ever did. As a believer, you stand before him and you say, I remember that. That was precious to me. His memory is perfect, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. You know, the only thing God forgets is my sin. Isn't that amazing? That's just amazing to me. But he remembers me. He remembers what I've done. That's precious to me. But what does that mean to an unbeliever when it says he remembers? He remembers. He's got books. I don't know who the angel is that's in charge of keeping those records. Maybe they're up to a Windows 10 by now. I don't know. But they keep records. Perfect, perfect records. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. And here's the thing. For us, he knows what we've done that's valuable. And he knows what we've done that's useless. As a believer, yes, we will stand before his throne someday. But not this throne. Not the great white throne judgment. We're going to stand before what's called the Bema Seat. The Greek term, it has to do with rewards. It's what they put those athletes on at the uh, Olympics when they go up and get their uh, gold medals and silver medals and such like that. It's that kind of a picture. And he will reward us for our labors. We've read about that in chapter 19. Remember the bride is dressed in the righteous deeds of the saints. The Lord kept records and he rewarded and it became a beautiful gown. He also knows what's good. He knew what was worthless. He knows. 
he remembers. And now we read that the unsaved will have their books open too. You know what he knows? The Lord knows not only the facts that are in that book, but what was hidden in the darkness. Right? He knows the motives of the heart. Right? He knows the plans. He knows the intentions. It says that there is nothing hidden from his and some at this point would say in some sort of a hope that maybe they could start to negotiate at this point maybe maybe Lord if you see the scales and maybe there's more good that I've done than bad and it tips that way you're, you're let me in The world's hoping for such a deal. They hope that somehow the good outweighs the bad. Some will appeal to their good works. They'll say, Lord, didn't we go to church? Lord, didn't we give to the poor? Lord, didn't I sacrifice every year during Lent? There's a big one for you. Didn't I do a good cause? Or even stand for it? Didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? You know what the Lord's answer is to all of those? But I never knew you. I never knew you. Sad words, folks. I cannot tell you fully the nature of what's in the books in verse 13. But I do know our Lord has a perfect memory. And nothing will be left out. And yet, when I go through the passage, and you saw it too, verse 15 is the test of your destiny. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, He is thrown into the lake of fire. It doesn't matter how many pages they accumulate in all the other books. They may have a whole volume dedicated to their name and not just a page and a half of some. It's the last book that counts. Scripture says that life is only from the Lord. Isn't that true? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Only through me. The way to heaven is through Jesus. Only. The truth of the gospel is about Jesus only. The life that we seek is by Jesus only. He himself is the way and the truth and the life. 
To be in the book of life means you know the giver of life. You have a relationship with him. The very fact that they do not know him will condemn them forever to the lake of fire. Our world says that's too exclusive. You've got to open that up a little bit bigger. You've got to include other groups. Jesus did not. And in this judgment, he will not. What judgment comes down to is this. Jesus is the final authority on the destiny of man. Jesus is. If you know him by faith, you are saved. If you know him by faith, you are saved. You will not participate in this judgment. This isn't for you. If you do not know him as your savior, you will see him as your judge. And it will be too late. Hear it? It will be too late. I've read this before, I know. I love reading this. Not because I like to scare people to death. But I think it makes a point that's very powerful for how often we don't think this through. We see the words and we say, oh yeah, okay. And then we just move on. But this was taken from a sermon preached in 1855. No, it's not sinners in the hand of the angry God. All right. That was earlier. This is 1855. Sermon number one recorded of Charles Spurgeon. Number one, out of thousands that were recorded, this was sermon number one. He preached it. He was probably uh, 16 years old. In the middle of that paragraph of his sermons, he's preaching on a verse from Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. It says, I am the Lord, I change not. And he goes to expound on this a little bit. And he talks about those who someday will stand before the Lord without knowing Christ. He says, hear the death knell of your carnal hopes. See the funeral of your fleshly trusting Every threatening of God, as well as every promise, shall be fulfilled. Talk of decrees. I will tell you a decree. He that believes shall not, he that believes not, shall be condemned. That is a decree and a statute that can never change. Be as good as you please. Be as moral as you can. Be as honest as you will. Walk as uprightly as you may. There stands the unchangeable threat. He that believes not shall be condemned. What do you say to that, moralist? Oh, you wish you could alter it and say, He that does not live a holy life shall be condemned. That will be true, but it does not say so. It says, He that believes not. Here is the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense that you cannot alter. You must believe or be condemned. 
says the Bible. And Mark, that threat of God, is as unchangeable as God himself. And when a thousand years of hell's torment shall have passed away, you shall look on high and see written in burning letters of fire, he that believeth not shall be condemned. But Lord, I am condemned. Nevertheless, it says, shall be still. And when a million years have rolled away and you've exhausted yourselves by pains and agonies, and you look up with your eyes and shall read still, shall be condemned. Unchanged, unaltered. And when you shall have thought that eternity must have spun out its last thread, that every particle of that which is called eternity must have run out, you shall still see written up there, shall be condemned. Oh, terrific thought! How dare I utter it? But I must. You must be warned, sirs, lest you also come into this place of torment. You must be told rough things. For if God's gospel is not a rough thing, the law is a rough thing. Mount Sinai is a rough thing. Woe unto the watchman that warns not the ungodly. God is unchanging in his threatening. Beware, O sinner, for it is fearful to fall into the hands of the living God. John 3.36 says this. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. And the one who disobeys the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That last phrase just puts chills in my mind. The wrath of God remains on him. If you're reading from the King James Version, you see John 3.36 says, He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. There is no difference in the word obey and believe here. They both come from the very same Greek word. It means simply this. They were not persuaded. They were not convinced. They did not see a reason to believe. Even though Jesus had called them to believe on his name, they disobeyed the gospel call. To disobey that call is to not believe. To not believe means there is no life. Let's just state the facts here. If you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe that he is everything he claims to be, that he alone can save you, not something you've done, Not something the pastor has done. Not something your parents have done. But you believed in him through faith that he is the one. That he is the one. No other person could save you but Jesus. He's the only one who died for you on a cross. He's the only one who is the way and the truth and the life. He is the only one. And if you believe that, This passage we study this morning is not for you. But if you have not believed that gospel message, you are not in his book of life. You are not there. And judgment is waiting, and judgment will be final. And I don't want you there. 
I make an appeal to you. Can you hear it? An appeal today. Can you hear it? We don't know if it's your last chance. Do we? We say that, but I don't know what today will bring, and neither do you. I may not be here another day. The Lord may take me home. I don't know. You may not be here another day. But if you enter death without Jesus, you have no hope. None. None. Let me review the facts and give you a statement. The fact of this judgment, it will take place. And the date's already been set. It's right at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. It will happen. It will begin with the destruction of the present earth and the present heavens. They will be gone. There will be a throne there and Jesus will sit on it. And all unbelievers will stand before him. They will be judged. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. Those are the facts. Those are the facts. I mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, reference to a sermon. Jonathan Edwards, I'm not going to read it to you. An American preacher of the 1700s, a key figure in the great revival period, he did preach that sermon and many people responded to it. If you've never read it before, it won't take you long to read it, but it will put the hair standing straight up on your head as you do. It's available, easy to find. But this is one of his quotes and it's not necessarily from that sermon. But I came across this, of all places, on Facebook the other day. How can you expect to dwell with God forever if you neglect and forsake Him here? That's my question I leave in your heart this morning. Because I want more than anything for you to know Jesus. I don't want this last chapter paragraph that we just read to be your story. I don't want you there. I cannot do anything about it except tell you what it says. You need to go to Jesus to talk about the answer. For he's the one who saves. And if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you've already heard the word, call on him. Right now, call on him. You need a Savior and he's a Savior. And the only one who can do it, call on him right now. He will save. I make that appeal to you today. But I'm very conscious of the fact that as I look around this room, I don't know very many of us, if any of us, will be standing before that throne. But I long for the other place that we're going to get to stand before Jesus and rejoice in his presence. I long for that day when we could stand there rejoicing together and singing without masks. I long for that day. I want all of you there.
feel like crying. I'm throwing my heart out at you. Because this is a passage that is true. I'm not going to change the message. I want your heart changed if that's what's needed today. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And if you need to know Jesus, talk to him right now. If you do that, talk to me after, please. Because I want to hear what he's done in your heart. Heavenly Father, what an incredible section of Scripture. What a powerful thing has been set before us. Not something imaginative. We can't even come close to embellishing what we have just read on this page. Your word is true. May it strike deep. May it strike hard into these callous hearts of ours. For some may be among us right now or even listening over the internet and need to know Jesus. And I pray, I pray, Lord, that you draw them to yourself. For only you can save. And we appeal to you, Lord, to save. Save. It's only Jesus saves. And yet, Lord, at the same time, as a believer, I realize I can have built I can build up a pretty good callus over these things. I could be ignoring this very fact. I could carry on my day without any consciousness of the fact that there are there are many. And the day is coming when many will stand before your throne and be thrown into the lake of fire because they didn't know you. I do not want to be among those who kept their mouth shut when the gospel needed to be spoken. And I pray, Lord, that each of us would take this to heart today. For we do know people who need to know Jesus. And we know the truth. May we not cower in the opinions of our world. May we not step back when they stand in our face and tell us that we are not fair, we're not just, we're not merciful, we're not inclusive, when they say that our message is, is just not fitting the day and the time and the politics and all the other things that go on in this world, may we be bold to declare just what God has said. We don't have to write it. We don't have to change it. We just need to speak it. And God does the changing. And maybe there's somebody we need to talk to. You know, Lord, what to do. For every one of us, we stand here reading a passage like this, and we're accountable for it now. We're accountable for it. We can rejoice all day long that we will not be there because of Jesus. But are there those that we know that will? Lord, do your work in our midst, for you know what to do. We just bow before you today, thankful to belong to you. May we serve our Lord in the way you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.